Welcome back to the weekly Coffee and Heroes podcast, our review show coming at you as always this week. We're going to be focusing on the releases from the 16th of June, so forewarning, we are of course going to be spoiler filled once again. A little bit of a slight delay in getting it out this week, we may have had a rather good interview we conducted last night with a top level artist, which was an absolutely brilliant conversation, keep an eye out for that coming soon. Combination of that and also my myself getting my second COVID jab this week, which, you know, glad to say, nice and smooth, no after effects. So your host as always for this podcast, myself, Alan, uh, owner and operator of Coffee and Heroes in Belfast. And I'm joined as always by my cohort, Mr. Keith Miller. Good evening, sir. How are you? I am not too bad. Welcome to the Double Jab Club. Yeah, well, happy to be here. Happy to be here where the water is warm. <laughs> yes, absolutely. That's, that's positively balmy, positively balmy, so... A, a world of, uh, of 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 barbecues and and friends and possibly recording recording in the same room uh, lie, lie ahead of you. Um, so that that that'll be that'll be nice. Yeah, doing uh, doing well halfway through the the working week and some nice things planned for the weekend. Um, the uh, the festival that I'm involved in, uh, Standoff Festival, is hopefully going to be the weekend after next. And in Limavady, I think there's still about 250 tickets left, which isn't many considering the the capacity going fast so the opportunity to see some some live music unless uh, our lovely uh, our lovely government screw it all up tomorrow uh, whenever they they sit down to meet um uh it's not like that hasn't happened before but there's a lot of pressure on them from the entertainment industry so hopefully hopefully not um how have you been uh, spending your time yeah 100% uh, nice week, busy week so far this week we're recording this on new comic book day the 30th of June so again nice busy day today uh, but again yeah it's been it's been a good good week productive week uh, again I'm you know throwing a few mentions out there of an interview we conducted last night I mean I'm just absolutely loving how welcoming and open and you know how, how much people are willing to chat to in the comic industry I mean we're obviously not going to give it away who we were chatting to not yet anyway but uh you know it's just a wonderful conversation you know must have taken up nearly two hours of their time you know just general chat and and all the rest and they may have even done a little something special for us as well which we can maybe expect in the post on top of that so uh, those sort of things are obviously little bonuses but it's just great to chat to people about their work and their creative process and the titles they're working on and also interesting when you get chatting to them, watching them shift slightly uncomfortably in the chair when you try to get information out of them about upcoming projects. <laughs> yeah, it was it was fun, but yeah, hopefully we get that uh, that released soon, so uh, so you can uh, you can hear who we've been who we've been making friends with. Absolutely. I mean, this was one I, I tried to set up. This was more with Keith in mind. We'll give you the, the slightest of clues that this is someone who's a bit more Marvel-based than DC, but that's as far as we'll go. But uh, no, yeah, delivery arrived this week. We had the new previews books arrive, so of course the previews podcast will not be too far behind on that. So this was the, the July books, which means these will be releases predominantly for September, although there'll always be a few advanced solicits there as well. It was great to see the DC book back in print. Uh, you know, we have mm-hmm. DC Connect full print print version the full marvel previews book and the full uh sort of independent previews book as well which of course are always in store you can always pop down have a flick through them we'll have our picks up on the board i i threw keith the books earlier i've picked out a few things already we'll get chatting to vicky and roddy and and so forth as always and get their picks uh but again yeah it's just uh, i'll look forward to recording that because a lot of a lot of good stuff there yeah certainly at a, at a cursory glance it certainly looks like a like a packed september 
Very much so. So, yeah, so some stuff to look forward to there. Uh, a little bit of news before we jump into the titles, as always. I did see that uh, Image are <clears throat> clearly learning from Coffee and Heroes, if I may say so myself. Uh, Image are getting ready to launch a new imprint called Skybound Comet. And the idea behind this is to aim... Uh, graphic novels, original graphic novels at younger readers. So this is going to be aimed at young adult, age 12 plus, but also middle grade as they call it, ages 8 to 12. So they're, they're, they're obviously trying to attract younger readers. You think of independent comics in general, unless they're maybe established franchises like, I know, Sonic the Hedgehog, Transformers, Turtles, that kind of thing. There's not a lot of independent books necessarily for younger readers. But I do find it really interesting that the first title they've announced for it is probably the least young reader friendly thing ever. Uh, in a way, this is going to be an offshoot of The Walking Dead. Uh, <laughs> yeah, not really, doesn't really scream middle grade school audience to me, but, you know, then again. But yeah, this is going to be a new book called uh, Clementine. This is going to focus on a, uh, a fan favorite character from the, the Telltale games. And it's going to continue her story. It seemed that her story had actually concluded with the release of the final season of the Telltale game back in 2019. But people have been clamoring for more. So we're, it's going to be released in July 2022. So a nice short wait there. <laughs> Just over a year. But it, but again, it's it's nice to see that they're going to aim at a younger crowd, I think. Yeah, it definitely is. I mean, I have no, I've never played those Telltale games. Um, so I've got no concept of who this who this particular character is um but but yeah nice to see the the walking dead universe continuing to flower yeah and more on that universe later on in this podcast spoiler alert again <laughs> uh yeah in terms of like tv movies and all the rest you know we saw aquaman has started filming this week uh i understand that uh the shazam movies filming at the moment it's just great to see lots of stuff filming you know thor love and thunder mm. we, ch- we chatted about it before it's just finished filming you know, it seems like we're very much back on that uh, MCU and, and DCU movie gravy train. So, long yeah. may I continue. It'll be nice to see those those schedules reoriented. I got back to the cinema last week for the first time to see Quiet Place 2, uh, which was great. It was also it was lovely to be sitting in a cinema. Um, you know, it was, it was great to be and, and felt very, 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 very safe. Uh, lovely to get the popcorn and the beverage and sit down and, and watch a movie and uh, and really comfortable um, movie house seats so uh, really enjoyed uh, really enjoyed that but my next trip to the cinema is hopefully going to be in less than two weeks less than two weeks you're planning to go see fast and the furious nine that is not what i'm planning <laughs> to go and see because i've yet to watch any of those movies um but uh, i'll maybe i'll maybe give give them a whirl they look like look like good brainless fun um, but uh, looking forward to uh, the release of Black Widow. So as you say, getting back on that MCU gravy train. Absolutely. I mean, we've been waiting on this well over a year past its original release date. It's been coming to Disney Plus, not coming to Disney Plus, scheduled for theatrical. We're going to hold on this and that. And we've obviously been blessed with some MCU TV shows in the last year. Certainly keep that that appetite sated, as they say. But nothing beats that big screen experience. And this is definitely for my money, going to be along the lines of Winter Soldier, spy genre, a little bit more realistic within the the MCU, and I can't wait for it. Yeah, we will be there opening weekend, if not opening night, Mm -hmm. opening weekend, definitely. So, Mm -hmm. And maybe even before that, we might get to see the new Shang-Chi trailer because we're both refusing to watch it online at the moment. That's correct. Uh, So, obviously, I've already seen the the teaser that was attached to the end of the uh, Marvel Celebrates the Movies. Uh, short or, 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 or uh, teaser and that was enough for me I, 
I haven't been able to avoid some of the news about uh, characters from the Incredible Hulk movie yeah. uh, appearing uh, and, uh, and and other characters in there. But that's exciting in itself. Uh, you know that they're they're linking you know this phase of movies quite directly to the first phase and the and the second phase uh, mm-hmm. with with the inclusion of of characters and and really you know sometimes that Incredible Hulk movie seems like the redheaded stepchild of the the MCU movies uh, just because uh, you know um, what do you call him uh, Edward Norton was in it mm-hmm. and uh, and then it was replaced by Mark Ruffalo so it sometimes you know doesn't get the but it's it's it, this very much is pulling it into line you know so pleased to see that yeah i always think it's it's bad that it's considered the ugly stepchild because i think it's a great movie i really really I didn't say it. ugly i said redheaded i wasn't, I wasn't putting <laughs> those two things together that was you that made that connection i just went ugly stepchild <laughs> that's more what i go for but but yeah i mean i i love the incredible hulk movie i think it introduced a lot of really cool elements to mcu it brought I in agree. general thunderbolt ross it obviously had that iron man connection at the end about i believe you're having some trouble with the big green guy you know it was actually the first movie that started to tie the universes together because the end of iron man the post-credits sequence was uh nick fury wasn't it saying i want to talk to you about the avengers initiative but at that Mm -hmm. point it was still just iron man whereas with incredible hulk it brought him in understand edward norton was maybe a bit difficult to work with that kind of thing but i just i am a little sad we've never seen betty ross again in the mcu you know i I kind of think we need to see that at some point and there was also that we uh that we sideways reference to captain america as well with the uh the, the Weapon Plus initiative that uh, mm-hmm. Thunderbolt Ross was in charge of had been handed down from World War Two, and and we know that uh, that Steve Rogers was the recipient of uh, of uh, I think he was the Weapon Two uh-huh. uh, with uh, with uh, what do you call him who appeared in the Winter Soldier it was as as Weapon One, and then we've more recently well it's not more recently it's it's probably about ten years ago that we realised that. Weapon X wasn't Weapon X. The, the the Wolverine project wasn't Weapon X. It was Weapon Ten. Mm-hmm. So uh, so that's all part of the Super Soldier Super Soldier program. Uh, but yeah, that was part of the that was that was referenced in, in the Incredible Hulk. We bit of a deep cut for the uh, for the Marvel fans. But uh, but yeah, there you go. One that was very much welcome. So yeah, as you said, it's good to see sort of characters from that movie being set up for Shang-Chi and so forth and again just continuing to tie it together uh one trailer I did watch though I think this is more me than you but uh I watched the trailer for Halloween Kills so this was originally scheduled for last Halloween I mean let's be honest if you're going to release a movie in the Halloween franchise you ain't releasing it any other time of the year other than late October so they they took the uh decision to wait a year for this movie to come out they've shot two movies back to back so they basically re not rebooted halloween but did like a full sequel directed by david gordon green and i thought it was fantastic it was nice to see uh, a horror movie that had budget put into it and great cinematography and great music and you know usually the slasher and the slasher genre is usually cheap and nasty sort of thing but this was actually treated in a much more mythical way you know the the myth of michael myers so what they did after that was successful is they essentially said they were shooting two movies back to back you would have halloween kills and then halloween ends so it was originally going to be halloween 2020 and then 2021 now it's going to be 2021 and 2022 but the trailer was fantastic so it was i i'm really looking forward to this i'm a big fan of the franchise in general and it just feels big and epic and mythical which is just not something you normally associate with uh the slasher genre so definitely oh. something to look forward to there but there was a trailer you did watch that definitely caught your eye this week oh yeah i mean you had posted it and then my best buddy roger had uh, had had sent it to me and that was the uh the trailer for the many saints of new york 
um, which is, uh, of course, the Sopranos prequel movie only in cinemas. Um, and uh, it, uh, it features James Gandolfini's son playing a, playing a young uh, Tony Soprano uh, growing up through, I guess, the, you know, the 70s and the 80s uh, in, uh, in New York. And uh, there's there's a lot of younger characters in there and references that just looks looks action packed. That one looks and it looks like it's uh, great and a lovely trailer. It keeps the uh, the Sopranos theme tune. The uh, woke up this morning by fantastic Brixton band Alabama Three, uh, who I've got tickets for later this year. Uh, <laughs> again, uh, you know it feels that, that 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 iconic tune. It just you know the 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 opening uh, bars of it right at the mm-hmm. end of the trailer. So very good stuff. Very good stuff. Very exciting. Yeah, I know David Chase, who is the series creator of The Sopranos, said he was against the movie for a very long time. And he's actually said he's still slightly worried about it because you always worry about, you know, maybe damaging the, the legacy of a series like that. But of course, of course. I, re- I remember I quite enjoyed the Breaking Bad movie, uh, which obviously focused more on Aaron Paul's character in the aftermath of the Breaking Bad series. It was by no means life-changing, but it certainly didn't taint the legacy. But also, mm. if, if they don't go back to the world of, for example, Breaking Bad, we don't get the masterpiece that is better called Saul. So, you know, prequels are never necessarily a bad thing. And this has a great cast. You know, John Bernthal's in uh, this one as uh-huh. well. And Ray Liotta, who, of course, is, you know, mobster royalty at this point after yes, the likes of Goodfellas. Uh... So I-, I love the idea of seeing this in a cinema. My only worry is that I'm going to have to sit and watch all six seasons of Sopranos again because it's going to remind me of just how good that show is. Oh, it's, it's great. It's it's great. It is a little bit dated, a little bit dated, but not uh, not not in the same way as a lot of other shows would have dated because that I guess that, that mobster, that mafia mobster culture has a timelessness as well. Yeah. Uh, so maybe so maybe hasn't dated quite as badly, but there, there's definitely a few things that have. Uh, yeah, but it's good stuff. It's good stuff. Yeah, and then just the last sort of thing, just to touch on was I know, I know this is possibly your most anticipated movie of this year. If it's if it's outside of the Marvel universe, let's say that much anyway. But Dennis Villeneuve's uh, June has been delayed again, but it is only delayed a couple of weeks. So I think again this was due out towards the end of last year. I mean we we initially had a bet over what would make more money, Tenet or Dune and then Tenet came out to sort of half open cinemas and Dune just got held back and held back and mm-hmm. then it was at the center of this legal wrangle with HBO Max doing same day release and and again it just shows how sort of how constant the whole movie industry has been adjusting to COVID over the last year you know that this has been such a rolling story but it is now coming to uh, movie theaters it was originally pushed back to October 1st but uh, you know October 1st, 2021, when it was originally due December 18th, 2020. But it's just held back a couple of weeks in October 22. So can, can you wait a few mm-hmm. extra weeks? Absolutely. It's one that I'm, it's one that I'm really looking forward to. Uh, and an extra few weeks isn't going gonna, isn't gonna to kill that off. There was another wee piece of news as well, Alan. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I know it's not really uh, totally your bag, but the uh, the Dungeons & Dragons movie mm-hmm. uh, is filming in Carrickfergus just around the corner. At yeah. the minute, they're using the castle. Saw some of that. There. It was Chris Pine was spotted on set. Michelle Rodriguez was another one, I think. There was some pictures from as well. We have a couple of regulars who live just around the corner from Carrick Castle. So I kind of wonder if they're, you know, pitched out, you know, sitting in their deck chairs trying to <laughs> catch an eye of everybody, you know. So, but yeah, yeah more I mean, and more stuff's filmed this side of the world. It's, it's nuts, isn't it? It is brilliant. And I mean, for a, for a, a, you know, a gamer, a role player like myself, tabletop role player, this is just fantastic. There have been some 
pretty nasty Dungeons and Dragons movies over the years, um, like total cheesy tongue in cheek uh, sort of things. But uh, this looks like much more of a, a high budget sort of thing that's exploring the full range of of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's John Francis Daly and Jonathan Goldstein, who were the the showrunners on, on Game Night, have said that sort of their, their intention to develop an adaption that's playful without being a full-blown comedy uh, I look at the fantasy genre and the people in it mm-hmm. and the way they speak to each other you know and that sort of thing but not without being a spoof of that or taking the piss out of it um so yeah it's Chris Pine Michelle Rodriguez Justice Smith uh Hugh Grant uh Sophie Lillis uh I believe Cumberbatch is now involved as well um so there's uh, a pretty exciting pretty exciting news and and uh, something to to boost the local industry as well Oh, it'll be so much fun sitting in a movie theater watching that, and you just everyone just going like, "That's Carrie Castles." It'll be literally that <laughs> meme of, you know, DiCaprio and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood pointing at the TV like, "I recognize that." Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I, well, that's it. You don't really see it in sort of a big budget type production like that, do you? So that's uh, that'll be cool to see. So yeah, anything that boosts the local film economy, and there's there are some great locations in Northern Ireland. Obviously, it's been utilised in things like Game of Thrones and stuff like that. But you know, starting to see like the the glamour of Hollywood coming this way is is definitely a welcome boost for the local movie scene. So yeah, that is uh, pretty much us for in terms of news and, and little tidbits all that kind of stuff but as ever we're here to chat some comics and chat some reviews of comics so we've again just in case you're you're coming to us new you know we've, we've decided to change the format slightly in terms of uh, a delay we tend to go back to a couple of weeks ago releases just so we can talk spoilers as deep as we can and to give you guys a chance to catch up as well so this is going to be a title so we released two weeks ago this is the 16th of june 2021 releases so as ever, we kick things off with our totals for that week. So pull list wise, I had a nice round twenty five titles in total. I had seven DC titles, four Marvel titles, thirteen indie because of course always loads of indie, and then I had one hardcover mm-hmm. release, which was a uh, a collection of a digital series, Deceased Hope at World's End. Uh, so this is the only part of Tom Taylor's zombie epic world I have not yet read. So twenty five for me. What about yourself, then, Keith? Oh, big week, Alan. Big week. 27 for me to no, ahead of yet. No, it had to happen sometime. Had to happen, absolutely. Uh, I'm two behind you on the DC. I've got five. Um, I'm eight ahead of you in the Marvel. I've got 12. And uh, three behind you on the Indie for 10. Uh, I didn't have any trade paperbacks or anything uh, this week. So it was just a just a straight, a straight singles week for me. Yeah, I think I'll start to catch up on the old Marvel side of things. You know, looking forward to the previews books and so forth. And I didn't, I didn't really jump into Heroes Reborn or Hellfire Gala stuff, that kind of thing. But you know, looking ahead in the in the Marvel books, there's there's plenty that has caught my eye. So I expect my Marvel numbers to rise uh, any time now. Ah, uh, the therapy's working. Good to hear. <laughs> so yeah, so as ever, what we'll do is we'll break it down into honorable mentions. You know, go into a little bit of detail, but not too much. Go through the DC, the Marvel, the indie and then finish off with our picks of this week so honorable mentions kicking things off with dc and you know let's be honest this is probably pick of the week every time but we've got to be fair we've got to be fair <laughs> and uh, of course we're talking about uh, about nightwing 81 by uh, mr tom taylor previously mentioned and bruno redondo and uh, i mean how often do we have to say it you know that the drill at this point it's DC's best 
book of the month inside you know month in month out and it, it shows absolutely no sign of of, of handing over that that crown at any point in the near future would you say yeah absolutely i mean for me the the key thing to nightwing's success you know other than the title character of course you know being better than batman and all that yeah buddy in some people's minds uh is that it's fun you know that's that's not the diminish its dramatic side by any means you know it has that in spades as well but but it's fun it's charming it's bright it's colorful when it needs to be it's funny when it needs to be but also definitely kick ass when it needs to be yeah i mean and that that art and, and coloring that you mentioned in this particular issue is and in, in every issue that you know that that uh, I guess it's Redondo and uh, who's on the colours? Uh, it's Adriano, Adriano Lucas mm-hmm. uh, on the colours. I mean, those are those colours are beautiful and bright. And whenever it needs to be, the art is also, you know, it's still, but 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 it changes then to the action-packed kinetic side of things when it needs to be. And Tom Taylor's plotting is always just pitch perfect. It just goes off at the right speed. The dialogue is great. You know, in this issue, it reflects the relationship between the three characters in the Bat family who, to my mind, belong together. That's Dick, Barbara, and Tim. And it's great that both of those other characters have featured so heavily and so naturally in Nightwing's book. And I I really hope the, the two of them stay around as regular characters. Well, you know, I'm not the biggest fan of Tim Drake in general, as anybody who listens will know. But, you know, if... If Tom Taylor were to write a mini series with him, you know, I, I might be on board. I might be on board. Yeah, I mean, to me, he is the natural. He is the natural brother to to Nightwing. Mm-hmm. You know, within that family, you know, they are the they're the two, the brothers that get on. Drake, you know, Tim Drake's slightly younger, looks up to 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 Dick a wee bit, but he's also, you know. Dick is a wee bit more cocky. He is the older brother, but he also knows how clever his younger brother is. You know, and and as 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 part partner, definitely more so partner now than than he ever was. You know, maybe part mentor. And I think, I think maybe, you know, Dick and Tim have got more in common than than Bruce and Tim mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. You know, so 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 Dick becomes that bridge between him and Batman. Um, it's good stuff. It's good stuff. And you know, again, looking at the art, some of the really close up panels in here. You know, some of the real just the real the focusing close up stuff is just is just great as well as the the more pulled back you know ensemble ensemble characters and I don't know if you uh, on the second page there if you see the the top panel um the top panel of blockbuster surrounded by you know all the mayor and the gangsters and stuff and it just looks almost like some sort of last supper uh I, I thought it was great there's so much cool stuff in here so much cool stuff yeah, and then a bulk of the early part of the issue is, you know, this this great fight sequence between Heartless and, and Dick. And, of course, the, there was a lot of surprising moments in this as well. I mean, I loved how, for example, when, you know, the fire starts that, you know, Dick's thinking, right, kids, I'm going to get you out of here. And then Heartless actually pulls out a fire extinguisher and creates a path for them. You know, he's mm-hmm. like, off you go, kids. You know, I'm, you know, I don't want to watch them die. I just want to watch them run. You know, there's sort of still that masochistic feeling, but it's not like just mm. in case if I want them to die. But, but I really like that. You know, Dick has essentially underestimated Heartless. You know, he thinks he's going to take him down really, really easily, and and that makes him a great foe. You know, there's, 
it, it's interesting as well because Dick is a bit like Spider Man. I suppose this is one of the reasons he's he's one of your favorite characters in that he Very quips much, yeah. he quips his way through fights. You know, it's almost like he's hiding his insecurity with slight humor, but there's also that little bit of swagger to it as well. But it's a fight in which Heartless actually there's tons of dialogue back from him as well. Well, him or her because we're it's yet to be revealed. But you know, lots of like, oh, I know your weakness. You care. You know, um, you know what. And he even pulls out that classic villain trope of, you know what, this can wait. I'll kill you later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's and I love the I love the callback to Dick's to Dick's head injury, which has been such a significant part of of Nightwing's history, but we haven't really looked too much at it, you know. And uh, you know, at one point during the fight, he's talking to he's talking to Oracle, obviously. And his comms, and uh, she goes, "What's happened?" And he goes, "I'm seeing a concerning number of spots for a guy who should avoid more head injuries. He's enhanced, you know." So he that that callback to the to the head injury, which, which again, you know, sort of follows him through this issue. Uh, then whenever, you know, at one point he he just takes too much and he blacks out, uh, and and that. So I th- I thought that was that was fantastic. Yeah, that's it. I mean, I love that detail too, you know, the fact that it hasn't just fully gone away. So, you know, sometimes you always worry when, you know, a title gets relaunched because rebooted is the wrong term for this when Tom Taylor took over. This is a, a mm-hmm. textbook example of how to put a new creative team on a book. It's not a reboot. It's not a back to square one. It's literally a continuation. So he's been able to pull the best parts not that there were many in the Rick Grayson storyline, you would maybe argue, but he was able to pull the best parts and keep that continuity going. I mean, don't you just love a little bit of cross-title continuity in that sense? Yeah, I mean, it's just as yeah, you're you're saying it's very much those 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 parts of those previous stories that become parts of the character uh, that are you know that's I think it's it's fantastic. So yeah, I mean, and and then there's the the, the slightly I guess the the technical side of it or the or the gimmicky side of it, you know, the gadgety side of it. Every issue we're seeing something cool with with Nightwing's rattan sticks. You know, it really is just Batman's utility belt in stick form and <laughs> uh, weapon form. You know, it's uh, there's so many different wee bits and pieces that he's that he's using them for. It's not just you know, it's his it's his grapnel gun and it's his you know it's what he swings on, but he could also you know, as we saw, you know, knock them together as a staff for 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 Tim Drake, or he can he can do so many different wee things, and they're they're electrified and all of this sort of stuff. So every issue, there's something there's something cool with that. So yeah, it's just it's just action and danger and surprises and a great amount of of levity and fun. You know, a, a great issue in that is it's just exemplary comics and the early stages of what hopefully is going to be a long and certainly an all-time great run on Nightwing. Yeah, and then as if a, a, a brilliant issue all around isn't enough, of course, Tom Taylor does his usual great stuff of leaving you on a cliffhanger where you're just thinking, damn it, I can't wait for the next uh, issue. So that last page, yeah. fantastic. Yes, phenomenal. Phenomenal. We'll not, uh, we'll not spoil that, I don't think. We'll just leave that as is. No, not at all. I mean, I know we say we're, we're going to talk spoilers like crazy, but we still can't quite help ourselves because that joy of when you read a really well-constructed story that gives you a little sting in the tail and you it just puts a little smile on your face so we don't want to ruin that for you guys but yeah as Keith said at the start you know we can't say it anymore this is easily top three of DC's best titles if not their best title it's just a, it's straight to the top of the pile every month it's still early enough on in this run that if you want to get into it 
um the issue 78 his first issue has just went back to third print we'll be getting those in as well so definitely jump on nightwing if you're not there already so that was the first honorable mention then nightwing 81 uh next up we have supergirl woman of tomorrow number one so this is going to be tom to another one tom to another indeed and they're they often <laughs> confuse tom to the other uh, so you've got the team on this one of tom keen on writing duties you've got bill quay Evely on artist or on art duties and cover as well uh, matt lopez as the colorist which is very important here and you've also clayton kyle's on letters so you know, when we review titles on the pod, I, I think we nearly always tend to talk about story and dialogue first, despite the fact, you know, comics are such a visual medium, you know, where we're always highlighting the writer first. But holy moly, this book is gorgeous. Uh, possibly the most outright beautiful book this week. Uh, I, a massive shout out to Brazilian artist Bill Quay Evely and, and indeed Matt Lopez on colors. This is just stunning looking. And saying that it does have the strong writing to back it up uh, as well, but I was going to ask if you recognised her art from uh, from anywhere else. I did indeed. Uh, Bill Cosevoli was involved in Lazarus X plus sixty six, which was God, four was it four years ago now? Oof, I definitely, I think we had not long <laughs> opened. Yeah, yeah. I mean the the art in this book. I mean, I don't know if you've if you've ever no. Actually, we talked about it. We talked about the uh, the Conan stuff and whether or not you'd ever read any of the any of the, the the Robert E. Howard books. But this looks and feels like a an Edgar Rice Burroughs, John Carter of Mars type story. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's the it's the Hyborian age of of Conan or the the pulp future of of, of Flash Gordon and Luke. And I mean, yeah, great great team. Obviously, sometimes Tom King has. You know, if, if he's if he has too much space, he sometimes goes a wee bit all over the place. But he's only got eight issues here, so maybe it'll it'll help from keep him keep him keep him from wandering off, you know, too far. But I mean, this this first issue is is absolutely immense, and it's just to me, it's it's a must buy this week. There's you couldn't look past this. Yeah, we we as you say, we've talked about it a lot with Strange Adventures and with Rorschach. You know, sometimes with Tom King stuff, it can be a bit slow in getting going, but you know, you stick with it because you trust the process and you, you, you trust the writer, but a lot happens in this first issue. I mean, it might even be the most immediate uh, first issue of King's work in a long time. Yeah, that's, I don't think you're, I don't think you're wrong. It's, it's definitely a bit of a, a bit more straight and no kissing than, than, than some of Tom's uh, previous, uh, that, previous That better works. be the review blurb for issue two. <laughs> yes, so the story itself uh, follows Ruthie. She's a young alien girl on a quest for revenge for the man that that killed her father and her story collides with Kara's who's out in the universe looking to to distance herself a wee bit from being you know the cousin of Superman that was never really needed because by the time she arrived on Earth he was already grown up and he was Superman um so I guess Tom King's approach is having the reader view the events through the lens of both the the present Ruthier and and Ruthier narrating her own story from the future, and it, it sort of leaves you really curious about what's happening in between those two times, the time that we're seeing and and where she's talking from, and it lets the reader experience Kara from the perspective of an outsider, someone that doesn't know her, and allows that you know allows Kara's character a chance to really to really shine. And I thought her Kara being in this alien planet 
under a red sun on her 21st birthday in order that she can get drunk was fantastic yeah great detail that so it was it's it's great to see the humor bleed into it as well just always helps with a book like this yeah and i mean it is it is a bit of a i don't know if you agree it was a bit of a wordy book a little bit, a little bit, but you know, yeah. still, still plenty of nice sort of silent scenes in it as well, and co- contemplative scenes where the art can sing as well. So, it's yeah. uh, but but Keen loves this. All writers love their words. All writers love their words. Yeah, I mean, yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I don't, I don't, I guess I don't mean overly. So there's loads of loads of loads of breathing room, and the interiors are absolutely beautiful, and really make the word look otherworldly. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was a nice choice of words there, Keith. Um, and also. Crypto. I mean, if if Tom King does anything to the dog, I am cancelling my prospective cult membership application, whether he's CIA or not. I will be going after him. Well, don't worry. Anything happens to Crypto, we'll hire John Wick to go after him. He doesn't. <laughs> he doesn't take for violence for dogs, also. But but yeah, thoroughly, thoroughly brilliant first issue. We've <clears throat> we've recently order more copies to come in next week as well so if you're a little behind on this one jump in i mean even if you're not familiar with supergirl the character or with cara or, or or whatever it's definitely worth giving a go to and as as was specified it's going to be an eight issue mini series so not a not a long one to sub to but definitely a worthwhile one so that is supergirl woman of tomorrow at number one so that'll do for the the dc honorable mentions this week but we will move on to marvel now and kick things off with marvel's first family yeah, Fantastic Four number 33, um, The Bride of Doom part two, uh, really enjoying this uh, this particular arc in the world's greatest comic magazine, uh, Dan Slott on writing, R.B. Silva doing a fantastic job on the uh, on the interiors, uh, assisted ably by uh, Luca Moresca and uh, Jesus Abertov on colours. Brilliant story that's celebrating 60 years of Marvel's first family. Um, R.B. Silva, Jesus, is doing phenomenal, phenomenal work. I mean, uh, he's not one of Marvel's... He's a previous young gun, isn't that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and, I mean, absolutely worthy of that of that title. And Dan Slott has really settled into this book now and is doing great work. Um, he's gotten the voices of all the characters nailed down and he's working with them like he was he was born to do it. So that, I mean, the general gist is that Doom is getting married and it's declared that invitees, including many of our heroes who attend and behave, will be granted clemency for all their past misdeeds against Doom. Leads to some great cameos and some brilliant dialogue. Uh, and there, you know, when you've got the likes of Namor appearing and Black Panther appearing, and of course Wakanda and Atlantis have got a, a very spotty history of late. And even better than this, the, the Fantastic Four will be standing up at the wedding in place of Doom's family, which just goes to show his arch enemies are his closest family. You know, he's, don't forget that Doom is his uncle uh, and delivered uh, reading Sue's second child, Valeria. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, it's uh, brilliant. Reed is the best man and Ben is given the bride away. But of course, only Johnny and the bride and Johnny's soul-bounded alien girlfriend, Sky know that Johnny and the bride have been involved in little... Uh, pre-wedding indiscretion themselves um so uh that that obviously leads into some fairly uh, dodgy waters there's a lot of machinations going on as you would expect at the wedding of dr doom uh the uh marvel universe's premier premier uh, villain and uh and, and monarch of a country and 
as I say, there's hardly a better placed artist on a book than R.B. Silva on Fantastic Four. This, I've said it before, but Fantastic Four alongside Spider-Man is one of Marvel's flagship titles, and it really feels like it again. It's good fun, you know, for all the family drama and the superhero shenanigans, as Ben's completely saying. That's a saying between him and his wife, Alicia. In fact, she decides she's not going to the wedding because, you know, she's going to stay and look after the kids because the Fantastic Four at Doctor Doom's wedding is going to lead to superhero shenanigans. shenanigans. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I highly recommend sourcing the last issue and picking up this one because uh, this is... Fantastic Four is is getting is getting great again, and I'd say very much you know an all ages title, uh, and as it I guess as in some ways as it should be, but very very enjoyable for for everybody and beautiful to look at. Yeah, I've certainly been enjoying Fantastic Four life story so far. We'll certainly get on in a future pod to Fantastic Four life story number two. Uh, which which let the the story breathe a little bit so maybe that's the kind of title i need to introduce me to fantastic for that little bit more and and then jump into that because i know they're doing really nice hard covers of i think it's 12 issues at a time and and Ooh. again i've i've full trust in dan slot you know man wrote the greatest silver surfer run of all time <laughs> so i may get on that at some point but one sort of top tier Marvel title, I suppose, came to an end this week, or an end in its mm-hmm. an end in its current guise, and it's you know very celebrated guys in terms of a creative team. So, you know, this is the end of the the thirty five issue run of Kits and Stegman. Yeah, I mean, it, it certainly is, as you say, it's that thirty well thirty five plus issue run. Whenever you think about all the the various web of venoms and, and so yeah. forth, yeah, yeah. Um, I gotta say, I'm not sure it went out on as much of a high as they they could have, given the amazingly positive impact and last ability that they've had on that character. Yeah, I would I would wholeheartedly agree with that. I mean, I know that Stegman put out possibly career best work in Keenan Black. You know, whether you love the story Keenan Black and of Keenan Black or not, you can't deny it was an absolutely gorgeous looking title. But I couldn't help but be disappointed that the last issue of their run wasn't completely drawn by him. You know, if this was just a standard sort of 200th celebration issue, I wouldn't have minded so much. But I felt this was a bit of a must, missed opportunity, maybe to go out on a on an absolute high. Yeah, no, uh, I think I think so. And one thing it did concrete for me uh, that I'm fairly certain of now is that I don't want to see Donny Cates writing Spider Man. Not a fan of his wisecracking Spider Man. Then he always writes him in restaurants, doesn't he? He he does, and that I mean that's kind of cool. But he also writes him a wee bit on the back foot, a wee bit whiny. Um, you know, second fiddle to Venom. I know it's Venom's book, and that's what you'd expect. But it just doesn't uh, it just doesn't do anything for me. No, oh, that's fair. That's fair. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, mean, it was it was a good story. It was it was solid. It was solid. Yeah, that's how that's how I would describe it. Um, I mean, Eddie is now. The god of the symbiotes he leads the hive mind he is connected to it he's a force of good and able to instruct and pilot symbiotes all over the world uh while while still giving them their allowing them their freedom in a way that null didn't so that that's great but it's not without its consequences for eddie yeah well this is it you know it, it takes a tremendous toll on his body it's revealed that he is aged considerably in this issue uh though i will say that there was definitely a bit of a coloring snafu that had me posit a theory that was quickly bunkum. It was just a mistake, <laughs> apparently. But there was a, a part in it where he's uh, feeding uh, Dylan his, his breakfast. He's getting ready to leave and go to school. And it's very much Eddie walking stick. You know, he's obviously still well built. But he's, you know, white hair, white beard. 
and then you turn the page and suddenly he has blonde hair and a blonde beard and mm. i thought to myself is he aging backwards once he's not connected to the hive mind is it a case of he he starts to regain his strength or something but no the next page he's back to uh white beard and white hair so it was just a coloring mistake yeah absolutely i mean oh Overall, it is a nice cherry on top of Eddie's story, his his journey, long-term journey from villain to lethal protector to cosmic hero. Um, and there was a couple of nice wee moments in it as well. You know, the scene in the school in Midtown High where uh, Dylan is getting picked on uh, by Kenny McFarlane Jr. He says everyone calls him King Kong, a name he stole from his, own ma- his old man. That's a that's what we call back to the ultimate universe, which is now melded with our universe, with mm-hmm. the 616 universe, you know, and the, the, the bullies who bullied, bullied uh, ultimate universe, Peter Parker, one of them was called Kong. Uh, so this is obviously his, his kid. And that, that book was drawn by Mark Bagley as well, as is, as is this particular section that we're, that we're looking at. So I thought that was a lovely, wee, lovely wee callback, but I mean, it's always great to see the likes of, Stegman and Bagley, but overall, I think the the multiple artists were a wee bit of a distraction in this book. Yeah, wholeheartedly agree. It's almost like you're turning the page, waiting for the right. When am I getting to the Stegman part? A little bit, um, you know. Well, for me, it was the Bagley part, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it does it does set up some interesting beats going forward. Dylan taking over as as Venom, you know, with Eddie as the I guess more the man in the chair, plus whatever's going on with Flash slash Agent Venom, and. If it wasn't for, I mean, if it wasn't for Al Ewing and Ram V coming aboard, I mean, those two are two names that you cannot ignore whenever you're following creators. I'd be maybe thinking about hopping off this book at this point, but I'm instead really interested in what's to come. Yeah, 100% agree on that. You know, it's been a a pretty era-defining run on Venom. You know, this reminds me, you know, Kate's and Stegman on Venom reminds me of Snyder and Capullo on Batman and the New 52. It's just one of those creator teams that just, you know their name elicits quality and certainly in our store anyway this remained marvel's biggest book throughout their run for us and they definitely needed a strong team to take over to keep the interest high and i think they have achieved that with you know al ewing ram v and and then brian hitch as well so yeah phenomenal so it will be in a little bit of a break for now we're obviously at the end of june start of july I believe that Venom run's not slated to begin until November, so you have a little bit of time to grieve over the loss of Donny Cates and Rand Stegman with their issue 35, which was Legacy 200. So from one possibly horror-based book to another very horror-based book, uh, this week saw issue 4 released of Philip Kennedy Johnson and Salvador LaRocca's Alien. Quite, and whenever you're talking about dream creative teams like uh, UNV and, and Hitch, this is another dream creative team, um, Johnson and and Naruka with uh, Guru, Guru EFX uh, working together on this book just makes it look gorgeous. And I think, as we sort of alluded to last month, issues one and two of Alien, you know, of this Alien book felt like the Alien, the original Alien movie, whereas issues three and four were more Aliens. And there seems like very little danger of us dropping into Alien 3 territory coming up. Yeah, that's it. You know, I, I want to remain as optimistic as possible on this book that this sticks to the vibe of Alien and Aliens, you know. This issue was great, you know, lots of action, some great character development, there were some great horror moments, you know, great imagery of, you know, face huggers stuck to his son's face and stuff like that. It was it was a really strong art again as well. I mean, I, I've heard one or two complaints about this book art-wise, but I'd love to know where those complaints are coming from. Yeah, I don't uh, I don't see it, but I've been a long-time fan of uh, of Salvador Laroca's art and 
Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's, it's a great story. We've got a, a Marine totally out of his depth. We've got a, a familiar-looking android. We've got a, a hardened vet and an alien-infested space station, which has been turned into a hive. It's what seems like a, a recipe for classic xenomorph storytelling and feels very close in tone to the movies, but it never feels like it's playing it safe or sort of retelling the same story. Yeah, it simply feels like a natural extension of the world created in the movies, and that, for me, is its strength. You know, there's always a worry that it could come across as a bit fan fiction-y or the opposite uh, thing where it's sticking too close to the movie formula, but it very much has its own story to tell, and it's and it's starting to build its own mythology as well. Yeah, I mean, it, very much. That I'm, I'm loving that wee, wee bit of mythology building. We have, we have a man here, as you say, trying to rescue his son, while somewhere on board the station is is iris the, the the girlfriend the son's girlfriend who uh was working alongside him as a, as a terrorist cell and she's escaped and she's got her own goals which conflict with with gabe who's our hardened veteran and, and father all of this is set against the xenomorph threat and that would be enough but johnson as you say is always putting he's, he's also putting a stamp in the mythology as well he's teasing a xenomorph that we haven't encountered before with a reveal towards the end of the issue that's going to leave, I think it certainly left me a wee bit desperate for the next issue and, and a few more answers. Yeah, I think it's it's not outside the realms of you know possibility to compare this to something like Nightwing. Obviously a very, very different book, but really, really solid single issue. But then the creative team is is strong enough and confident enough in what they're telling to just, just leave you with that little cliffhanger at the end. Just... Such a strong creative team, just very confident with what they're doing. I mean, I've been, I've been ranting about uh, Philip Kennedy Johnson's masterful storytelling since The Last God uh, for DC, and uh, he's, he's doing it equally well here. And, you know, Salvador Larocca is a veteran, and his art is, is doing a great job of making Xenomorphs terrifying once again, even... You know, even as the Marines' superior firepower manages to put down a few of them, Johnson avoids them turning into mere cannon fodder as they sort of did in Aliens. And I think the story is way, way better for it. And it's obvious, I think, by this time, by, you know, the fourth issue that, that the Aliens franchise is in fairly safe hands at Marvel. And we are very happy about that because it wasn't <laughs> always a given. So, yeah, that is issue four then of Philip Kenny Johnson and Salvador La Roca and Guru EFX's Alien. So we'll finish off then with one last Marvel one. I believe this was the uh, the ending of one of Marvel's most recent events that you were on. Indeed it was. It was the last uh, the last issue of Heroes Reborn with number seven. There is Heroes Return, uh, the, the one shot which, which followed it. Um... I mean, it's hard to say that it's hard for it's hard to say, and as hard as it part as hard for me as it is to say, which is almost as hard as that. Uh, you know about Jason Aaron. I don't know that it's a series that has delivered on what it promised, and so far it's because I mean, it, its promise was was fairly indistinct. You know, it, it was a marking of the twenty fifth anniversary of Heroes Reborn by the you know Jim Lee and Rob Liefeld. But that said, I think this has been the strongest issue of the main series so far. Um, you know, they Aaron and McGuinness set themselves what I would say was maybe an unenviable task of setting up an alternative timeline with a group of relatively unknown Justice League analogues. You know, and at its centre, it's seven issues and a handful of tie-ons when the originals Heroes Reborn 
25 years ago, used well-known heroes, reimagined, and had a year's worth of issues over four relaunch titles. So, you know, how do you celebrate that appropriately and properly? You know, so anyway, I mean, by now at, at issue seven, we're now, we now understand the sketched outline of this world, this alternative world, this alternative uh, 616 Earth. And this issue brings it all to a head in two stories, you know, promising, you know, promising Squadron Supreme, promising in the next issue, and here's return Squadron Supreme against the true Avengers for the fate of the world and some Mephisto slash uh, Agent Coulson or President Coulson machinations to complicate the things. And it's there were some cool moments, you know, uh, there definitely were. Blade against, uh, against um, what do you call him, Nighthawk, who is the Batman analogue, where Blade was able to say some things to Nighthawk that were clearly meant, to, meant for Batman. <laughs> you know, it was it was Blade having a wee bit of repartee with Batman, really. You know, so the art from from Aaron Cooter and Ed McGuinness is is great across the two stories. Cooter, you know, is is very expansive, while McGuinness is a little more intimate and atmospheric. But yeah, I mean, I I did enjoy it. I, I really enjoyed the Marvel double action one shot uh, that that they they put out. There were some real high moments to this, but. But overall, uh, uh, yeah, I, I don't know if it's been a it's been a series that has been, oh, I don't know, it, it hasn't been the best. Well, that's uh, the end of the the seven issues, and then there was a one shot to follow, wasn't there? Heroes Return, just sort of tying up a few loose ends and so forth. So, yeah, I mean, I, I read the first issue and thought it was entertaining enough. I never, I didn't stick with it. Uh, maybe I just found the uh, the DC analogs a bit too hard to to go along with maybe my uh tribalism kicked in there who knows but <laughs> it'll be hitting trade soon anyway would you say it's self-contained enough to just read as a as a good trade yeah absolutely yeah 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 so keep an eye out for that anyway so yeah that was heroes reborn number seven which finishes off the marvel honorable mention so we're going to move on to indie now with regards to the first indie one that we're going to talk about we are going to have to spoil as we talk about uh this what happened in issue four we we spoiled it before, I think, on a previous pod because it was just such a ridiculously good twist. But mm-hmm. we're but we're really gonna have to spoil it here because we can't really talk about this issue without talking about that twist. So you know, flick on by if you haven't caught up in Radiant Black, but this is it. Radiant Black number five, which is uh, written by Kyle Higgins. Uh, you've got normal artist uh, on this, or series artist Marcelo Costa, but there's also some fill-in art by Eduardo Ferragato and uh, Natalia Marquez, because as Kyle Higgins explains at the back of the book, Marcelo Costa had to take some time off for some doctor-mandated... Uh, he'd, he'd hurt his wrist, basically, and the doctor said he had to take time off from doing it. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So radiant black number five. Yeah, I don't think it don't think it suffers for the fill in. Uh, I think it's I think he's done a really good job of of uh, I guess the the way that the the art change has has handled it. It works quite well. But yeah, radiant black number five. Marshall is uh, is taken over for, as the as the from the lead character Nathan. Uh, we have the introduction of two new radiants, a villain, and the beginning of the truth about radiant red and who's under that mask and. Uh, what is going on with Nathan? Though I mean, I thought he was connected to the to the uh, what do they call it? Not the radiant, but the uh, there's a there's a term for the the larger the larger connection. Uh, I can't remember what it is. Just off the the existence, uh, and uh, I thought he was connected to it until he was dead. But 
it seems he's not quite dead yeah this i have to admit this slightly bugged me to be honest you know the as we spoke about before i mean the decision taken to kill the main character in the fourth issue and have someone ascend to the mantle was so ballsy and for me it was the sign of a creator who had full confidence in his story moving forward and the bigger picture this felt like a little bit of a backstep to me and a little bit of a safety device of just in case we need him you know emergency break glass Mm, yeah yeah maybe maybe um i guess we'll see but i think I think Kyle Higgins movie has has generated enough good feeling over the last uh, four issues that uh, it's not going to be a it's not going to be a big a big problem. I mean, I think this is the end of the the first arc, and the issue wraps it up with the promise of leveling things up whenever we come back for the second. Uh, great action sequences, characters that are relatable, and really engaging dialogue. Yeah, I mean, just to just to take a back step there, like I'm not saying I want characters to die all the time. But yeah, it just it was such a big move that I just thought, oh, don't backtrack, don't let him still be alive because it for me it sort of undermines that a little bit, you know that sort of that acceptance by him in the in the issue four that he wasn't ready to do what was necessary, he wasn't ready to kill, you know. Whereas Marshall taking over it just made it an interesting character to explore. But mm. but no, that's that's not to denigrate the book at all. The book is fantastic. It's it's something I'm I'm all in on. No problems there. Uh, it is interesting, I thought, that the introdu- introduction of new characters sort of pushed it closer and closer to Power Rangers territory. You know, Kyle Higgins' old stomping ground. Yeah, uh, for sure. Current stomping ground. Um, yeah, I mean, and, and I did jump off the Power Rangers book. Lack of uh, lack of background knowledge sort of pushed me away from that. But, uh, but yeah, being in on the ground floor of this, I don't think it's any bad thing. And I'm also not sure how, how long those two new characters are going to hang around. We'll see. Uh, <laughs> But I mean, for me, this book has the potential and um, to fill the gap left by the the finish of Invincible, which I know are very big words coming from me. Um, and I mean, with the top quality cliffhanger at the end of the last issue, I think the creative team are are well aware of that as well. Um, and I don't think they're they're necessarily going to let us down. And I mean, either way, if you like good comics and good superhero comics, I think Radiant Black should most most assuredly be on your pull list. Yeah, agreed. It's it's one of the best indie titles around at the moment. You know, good storytelling, great art, uh, and definitely one of the best looking. And and as you say, I mean, I I don't know if it's a, a negative thing or not, but I wouldn't have noticed much of an art change unless I was told. You know that I think the fill-in artist did really really well, just to you know stick close to Marcelo Costa's style. So as Kate said, that's the end of the first story arc. Trade's not too far away in case you need to play catch up. But yeah, definitely get on this. I thought it was uh, I thought it was great. Uh, the next indie title up is just one that you're on yourself, I believe. Is this a, an Aftershock title, is it? It is an Aftershock title. They do some, so they're doing some great stuff. Uh, there's some some brilliant stuff coming out of, of Aftershock at the minute. It's uh, a title uh, called Seven Swords, uh, issue one, The Last Musketeer, by Evan Daughtry, uh, Ricardo Latina on art, Valentina Bianconi on colours. And, I mean, I do like a wee bit of, uh, of buckle swashing now and again. Uh and this is set some years <clears throat> after D'Artagnan saved the man in the Iron Mask, and he's the last musketeer. He's been roaming Europe for five years in search of Cardinal Richelieu. Having returned to Paris, uh, D'Artagnan heads to Notre Dame to confess his sins. However, it soon becomes apparent that the priest taking D'Artagnan's confession is an agent of Richelieu. Uh, having dispatched this agent, D'Artagnan finds himself surrounded by a bunch of sword-wielding monks, and as he fights his enemies, 
off he finds himself reunited with his long lost friend former captain of the Mus musketeers uh, a guy called Travel. he tells d'artagnan that richelieu has the help of arcane supernatural powers and added to this he tells the last musketeer that he must recruit the best swordsman that europe has to offer and bring an end to the cardinal once and for all to save the world he'll need to join forces with seven iconic swashbuckling heroes don juan captain blood uh tyranno de, de bergerac to name a few seven swords i think will will undoubtedly have them overcoming their differences to work together uh, if they have any hope of of, uh, of thwarting uh, count richelieu's diabolical plan so i mean evan daughtery is the the writer of films like snow white and the huntsman and divergent and teenage mutant ninja turtles the the reimagined version and uh, and illustrator Ricardo Martina, you know, he, he he comes at high adventure with a with a cutting edge, and he's obviously watched a lot of swashbuckling films since he was a kid because he captures the spirit and the action of the genre, the genre brilliantly. Um, you know, they're, they're, it's effectively a swashbuckling Avengers they're they're assembling here. You know, mm -hmm. whenever whenever one hero is not enough, uh, they must bounding band together to to fight greater evils, but. I mean, it would be easy to lose your way a wee bit if you're not familiar with these sort of superstars of the genre, but there's there's enough to enjoy without that knowledge as well because the art's excellent and the action moves at a really breakneck pace. And for everything else, there's there's Google, you know? <laughs> so just stick a name into Google and, and find out what the crack is. And there's the Back Matter pages, which profile some of the characters, which are, they're great looking and entertaining and informative in that respect. So I'm going to be picking a, an issue up of this I think for my buddy, my buddy Chris, uh, whose birthday is this this coming weekend, and he's a he's he's a long time fencer, mm -hmm. uh, and I think he'd his favorite movie is The Princess Bride, and he I think he'd love this. So nice, cool, cool. That is Seven Swords number one from AfterShock Comics. So next up on the honorable mentions list is another title that is probably going to be in the honorable mentions list for all of its five issue run and hopefully beyond uh next up we have the many deaths of lila star so this of course comes from the team of ram v on writing and felipe andrade on art so what more can we say about this title i mean it's it's a book that just keeps challenging and inspiring me and uh, i mean to my mind it, it's elevating the medium as it goes yeah, I mean, for me, each issue has demanded a reread every week. And, you know, given how many books are on our pull list, that is not a statement I make lightly. But I almost feel like I read through it once to follow the story. And then I read through it a second time to appreciate the art. And then I just read it a third time just because it's so good. Yeah, I mean, I'm fairly similarly, maybe don't read it twice, but I'll be going back to panels throughout the read again and again, you know. And I mean, every issue of this is, is nearly a, a snapshot in the almost aimless life of Layla Starr or the, the deity occupying her body, uh, you know, in the moments before her next death and subsequent resurrection by Prana, who is the god of life. And it's also a snapshot into the life of her quarry, Darius Shah, who is the boy who is growing into the man who has made or will eventually make the goddess of death, you know, redundant as she is now. Uh, you know, she's, she is now been made redundant she was made redundant in the first issue and, and she's living a human life and occupying leela star's body following the death of the, of the former yeah i mean i really like that description of lila's life as aimless you know she's literally gone from having all the purpose in the universe and almost all the the power and control over the universe to having none at all 
Yeah, and this this particularly, you know, the story sort of, or I guess it's a story. It's an encounter. It's you know, it's told from the. This is really interesting. It's told from the point of view of a shared cigarette that's been imbued with a kind of sentience for the remainder of its very short, limited life, thanks to its contact with the lips of a goddess. And Ram V fully inhabits the persona of the painfully mortal device of the cigarette as it burns down. And, you know, the script that he writes, you know, the the, the cigarette's words are, are pure poetry. It's, you know, the, the narrator has this short, bright burning life reflecting beautifully i think all the themes of the book it evokes well and me a person a reader of a certain age it evoked a melancholy for days gone by and those those parties those house parties and you know those sorts of things it was really interesting really beautiful it's interesting as well because there's almost this beauty to that cigarette that you're talking about, you know, as it burns down. But it's almost like Ram was worried he was going to, you know, start up a new generation of smokers. So he has that cigarette lead to a fire that leads to this death. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so it's interesting too. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, this further backs up my idea. This series is almost a series of one shots. You know, it's it's not to diminish the overall narrative. You know, it's clear that it you know fits together. There's a clear plan here. But I guess I just mean more from the point of view that each issue is its own self-contained three-act structure. It's it's just almost like we're dropping in on Lila and catching up with her. Well, I mean, we are because every time we're catching up with her, she's she's alive and then she dies. <laughs> and then she appears, you know, so many years later, alive again, you know. But, I mean, it would be easy to focus on the story and forget about the art style. But the, the art style is, I don't know, from from Andrade is is really cohesive but it's also beautifully trippy it's clean but it's psychedelically colorful and the overall design of the book is brilliant with the cigarettes you know smoky looking speech bubbles yeah uh, it was, was was really cool yeah it's easily one of the best looking titles on the stands and definitely one of the most unique you know it pushes a lot of boundaries with its style and and it's very individual so just a brilliant brilliant book yeah i mean it's going to make a beautiful a beautiful trade and i mean it's it's it is a phenomenal book and i'm so glad i picked it up following our conversation with uh with ram v uh just before its launch a few months ago absolutely you can of course uh check that out earlier on in the pod feed that little chat with ram v and another one you you know we're just such shameless self-promoters here but <laughs> another uh conversation you can pick up on is us chatting with uh declan shelby and rory mcconville about their book time before time which this week hit issue two yeah i mean this is one i'm really glad it was on the, the ground floor of uh so if you haven't already i would pick this one up straight away at coffee and heroes and uh and search out number one and uh again as you say alan if you're interested in checking out our recent interview with the two writers two very personable irishmen rory mcconville and declan shelby that's uh that was a few months back and you can find it on our on our on our pod feed yeah, and I, I really enjoyed issue one. We chatted about it before. It was more than a solid debut issue. I mean, they definitely put themselves under pressure saying it was a, a combination of Saga and Looper. But I thought issue two was a was a step up as well. Yeah, I mean, they, they belong together. Um, they, they're, they're direct continuations of one another. But, I mean, last issue, after months and weeks and months of preparation, Tatsu Edwards was finally able to escape the syndicate who are a a cruel 22nd century crime gang who illegally smuggle 
people back in time to what they believe are better better eras and also smuggle things from the past and from the future to different eras with you know and, and, and make their money that way but there was a an unknown woman who suddenly appears to steal the same pod as tetsu and blows his cover his plan falls apart and leads to a stray syndicate bullet damaging the pod and sending the the unfamiliar pair back to who knows when yeah, I mean, this is the mystery that's one of the the main driving forces of issue two. It even kicks things off in 2010, where you've got a very clear title of 2010. But what they do in this is they actually, I love the details of the scramble year graphic. You know, it's yeah, it's always been easy to follow this book, despite all the different time frames. But the scrambling's a great touch. It means we don't know any more than the central characters themselves as well. Yeah. Is it the past? Is it the future? You know, it's great stuff. And uh, I mean... With regard to the pacing of the book, the energy stays high right the way through. It's totally intriguing, and you know, it's, it's totally entertaining. It's it's intriguing, and uh, as you say, that mystery really, really drives it. And you know, we we do learn a wee bit more about the world and the players in it. And again, I'm just left looking forward to the next issue. Yeah, the pace on it's relentless. The book barely slows down to take a breath the whole way through. <laughs> and you know, Joe Palmer is the artist on this, and that artwork works perfectly. You know, with that story and with that that, that relentless kinetic motion, um, and let's not forget Chris O'Halloran's sort of often muted colors. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a he changes the palette a wee bit for different time periods. He lends, you know, definitely lends the proceedings something of a gritty CD vibe. You know, even whenever you have those really tongue in cheek moments, you know, in the in the writing and the and the character relationships. Yeah, just cracking title so far, and and again, chatting with those guys about it, it's clear that they have big plans for this title, so make sure to jump on it, that is time before time. So we're going to finish off the honourable mentions with uh, uh, for the indie side of things, with a title that Keith just cannot figure out. <laughs> I, just, I just don't know if, if Berserker number, Berserker as a title by Keanu, Keanu Reeves, uh, Matt Kent and uh, Ron Garney, I just can't figure out if it's entertaining or if it's just pure silliness i mean i'll go with pure silliness sometimes there's a place for books like this i think you know i'm enjoying it so far you do need a strong stomach for it i would say you know there's there's always endless pages of brutality and violence and as and as graphic as possible but at the same time i think there's just enough character work and development in there to make it a story worth following yeah i mean i would i would go as far as to say that the the violence is a wee bit gratuitous uh, and, and I don't know, maybe un, unnecessary. I'm not, I'm not, not a fan of it, of, of violence, but I'm, it's there for, it's there for its own sake. Uh, I think rather than than forwarding the story in any way. But I mean, the concept I find interesting. It's not new. I don't know how long I'll hang around for it. Another, maybe another issue anyway. Yeah, I mean, I think issue four is going to be the end of the first arc. So we'll we'll see if that does enough to keep you on board. And I guess on this issue, you get a wee bit more of. Of B's history, you know, and and uh, this is should, we should have said this is issue three, and his his memories are going deeper and unlocking more details, and as we learn more about his story, the true intention of the doctor that's working with him, Caldwell, uh, the true intentions for for unlocking his history starts to starts to be revealed. I mean, the issue works well, you know, while we're 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 delving into B's origin and the art is paired pretty well with an narrative and it it does make the the predictability of of both the story and 
and the doctor's ulterior motives pleasant enough to read and yeah both aspects of the story both B's history and Caldwell's intent combined to give the story a you know in the third issue a bit of a jump forward which which is has probably been needed over the last two issues um but yeah yeah and yeah yeah I think I've I think I've said it before we've you know we've got we've got old guard I don't know if we need this <laughs> Well, if you're listening, Kenny Reeves and Matt Kinton, of course, why wouldn't you be? Uh, you've got one more issue to convince Keith to stay on board. So, uh, yeah, I'm I'm the same. I, I do enjoy it. I do find it silly. I do think there's always a place for a book like this that is just sort of pure escapism. But again, I do think you need a strong stomach and sometimes the violence is a little bit over the top. Uh, he says as he gets ready to talk about his uh, pick of the week. Pick of the week. <laughs> but anyway, we're going to finish there on the honourable mentions with Berserker number three. So yeah, that leaves us with our picks of the week for releases then on the 16th of June. So I'm going to kick off first and I'm sorry, I have to do it. I've resisted to this point in this title to ever Oof. pick it. You know, I'm having accusations thrown at me here. I'm bending the rules that that if we allowed... The Walking Dead Deluxe to be included in contention each issue that it would just be pick of the week every fortnight. I'm doing it this week. I have to do it. It's The Walking Dead Deluxe number 17. You know, I, I do think there's some truth to that that we would pick it as a pick of the week. But every so often an issue comes along and reminds you that Robert Kirkman is very much the master of his craft. And it, and it reminds you of just how special a series The Walking Dead is. Yeah, I mean... We did indeed have a plan for this uh, to to counter the the need to pick the the Walking Dead uh, every week, and that was our our dander with the dead segment. Uh, you know, we were witnessing Roddy for the first time. You know, his reaction to each issue. Uh, however, Roddy hasn't been able to join us as regular as he as he would have liked, and we've fallen behind. Maybe it's something we should reinstitute for the current issues. Well, we may be able to do that because you know we need to talk Walking Dead. You know, I. I I don't think it's a too over-the-top statement to label The Walking Dead as one of the most important comics of all time. You know, it, it reignited interest in indie comics and, and in Image as a company in general. You know, I- Image were not always the juggernaut that they are now. You look at Image now, the sheer volume of titles coming out, the creators working for them, the the, the TV adaptations, everything. It can all, For me, anyway, I think it can all be traced back to The Walking Dead. I think Image as a company was struggling at this point. It was a case of, you know, Image was a place for artists, but not for writers. You know, you think of who set Image up. You know, Image were suddenly producing the best-looking books on the shelf, but the stories were just empty shells. And I don't think Image could have achieved what it has achieved now without The Walking Dead. And The Walking Dead could not have been as big as it was without something like this. And issue 17 is undoubtedly one of the strongest issues this this is an uncompromising title that showed, amongst others, at this time that there was a market for adult comic storytelling. Certainly, there have been other examples before, but you know th- this this was a big sequential, long form adult title. I mean, you're talking about uh, you're talking about Robert Kirkman, who's very much the master of his craft, but this is young Robert Kirkman. Uh, this isn't even current Robert Kirkman. Yeah, and that in uh, itself is scary. <laughs> and, and it's interesting to see him talking back to himself in the back matter. You know, the, 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 the before times Robert Kirkman, you know, being commented on by current Robert Kirkman. But yeah, I mean, with regard to, you know, the market for adult storytelling, I'd argue, obviously, that, that Watchmen and Dark Knight Returns were that. But I, I guess you're right. A lot of time had passed between Watchmen, Dark Knight, 
and The Walking Dead. So, so I guess that that showed the way forward for the market. You know, after those, you know, those titles had been had been out for quite a long time. Yeah, well, with issue seventeen, you're essentially hip deep in uh, the third story arc. You know, by this point, our main players are established. We know what characters we're going to be following. And for this particular issue, this is being set inside the the story arc inside of a prison. And ironically, again, this is just some of the the great world building of this title and and how clever Kirkman is, you know. Ironically, in the real world, a prison is a place that denies you freedom. But when they first come upon this prison, I believe it was in issue 13, they feel like they found somewhere that can actually afford them a future. They feel like they can start planning, you know, humankind's survival within a prison, which just in itself is so deliciously ironic. Yeah, very much so, though. I mean, you know, you said that Walking Dead was an uncompromising book, and I would agree with that. Established characters, as you mentioned, aren't usually a safe bet in Walking Dead, so, you know, don't get too attached to the ones you're following right now. <laughs> but, uh, you know, this whole segment was fantastic in the in the comic, you know, this whole whole arc, and it it's often maligned a bit in the TV show, a wee bit, the prison, the stuff in the prison. I mean, it as you, it absolutely offers and exudes hope whenever they find the prison. And I, at the time, absolutely bought into the feeling and the idea of making it a permanent home. Poor Innocent Before Times Keith. Poor Innocent Before Times Keith, reading Poor Innocent Before Times Robert Kirkman. <laughs> uh, but yeah, by issue 17, you know, within the prison, there's a serial killer on the loose. And the issue kicks off with, you know, that serial killer being revealed and attacking Andrea. But at the same time that's happening, Rick has just come back. Rick left the prison to basically go and dig up Shane, which was another great piece of storytelling in in an earlier issue, but just to basically lay him fully to rest. But as Rick was away, uh, there was was the deaths of two young kids, you know, related to, to Herschel. And this issue kicks off with Rick feeling that guilt that because he left, the, the two girls' deaths are on him, that if he had been there to protect them or if he hadn't have convinced Herschel to come down because when they first come to the prison, Herschel still lives on the farm. Herschel doesn't want to join them, but Rick talks them into it. So when said serial killer is revealed, having attacked Andrea, you know, the, the attack spills out into the courtyard. Rick is ready to explode and he does not hold back. Yeah, and it's interesting because in the back matter, you know, so you know, Kirkman shows his original plan, and and as you say, Rick was just ready to go off, ready to explode it. At one point, I think Kirkman was going to have him lash out and strike Laurie, uh, whenever she tries to stop him, which is that would have been that would have been hard hitting, you know. But I mean, this is hey, hard hitting. Hey, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was uh, totally, totally unconscious. You can't plan these things sometimes. No, I can't. And this is, I mean, I think this is the, correct me if I'm wrong, but is this the first time that the threat wasn't zombie, but human in the comic? Absolutely. I mean, that this is what has always been at the core of The Walking Dead as a series. As a series. You know, maybe 10 issues in, the zombies are almost seen as just a nuisance. It's just a, a consequence of the world they now live in. And it's all about exploring the uh, the darkness of humanity and even though humanity is almost wiped out they still can't get along and and that's the genius of this book but as you say again even this early on you know with Kirkman it showed no one was safe in this world and boy does Kirkman prove it time and time again throughout this series with you know characters that you get close to that you don't want something to happen to and you know this is something he would then obviously take into Invincible and, mm-hmm. and so on and so forth but there's just so much going on in this issue that I just really wanted to highlight it you know you've got background behind the scenes planning by some of the other prisoners to overthrow Rick and his group you've got 
you've actually got moments of innocence in here as well, showing that innocence still exists. You know, Carl reluctantly agrees, Carl being, of course, Rick's son, uh, reluctantly agreeing to be Sophia's boyfriend and all this kind of stuff. You've got great artwork with some amazing double-page spreads, especially after a, a massive moment where Rick just absolutely goes to town on this serial killer to stop yeah. him. Mm-hmm. Like, the mess he leaves his face, the mess wow, that Rick's yeah. hand is... You know, and then you've got this big sort of quiet double page spread with the ominous clouds in the background. And this is also somewhere as well where I think the color really shines. I haven't really noticed the color in this so far. I've just been enjoying the series and and I love the black and white version just as much. But mm-hmm. this was this double page spread with, you know, that deep red blood and all that. I thought it really hammered home uh, just how worthwhile an exercise this is in showing a color version as well as a black and white version. You know, you've you've got the establishment of a new law and order from Rick. You know, this is this is the first time I think that Rick comes across as a as teetering on the edge of being a bit of a dictator, of oh. a you know right. If you're a murderer and you kill someone, you get murdered. And he he entertains no discussion on this. He he's he's feeling that much guilt over the deaths of the two children that he's yes. like, this is my way or or no way. And and that's something Kirkman explores the whole way through the through the book is you know how far is too far but at the same time how far do you have to go to you know survive in this world uh, and and also how far can you be pushed because this is the beginning of the erosion of rick's sanity mm-hmm. i mean shortly after this we we start into the story where rick hears the phone ringing yeah you know and 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 well not not too shortly but there's you know he's you know it moves on and we start to see the erosion of it's just going to be one blow after another for Rick between now and issue 50, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and his sanity is just going to start to spiral. And this is, this is him holding too tight, so tight that, you know, he starts to lose his grip. Yeah. And it's interesting. You say lose his grip and all this points as well, where he's looking at his bloodied hand in this, because, you know, having read it and having the benefit of that, and again, spoilers for upcoming issues, but uh, a little bit of foreshadowing that 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 hand that he basically used to beat that you know oh, prisoner yes, to death. Of course, yeah. He ends up losing that hand further on in something they didn't repeat in the show. But yeah, just great, great storytelling. I mean, I, I you forget how good The Walking Dead is because there's there's sometimes a little bit of a blur between did that happen in the TV show or did that happen in the books. And any time you remember something really, really good, it's nearly always. Yeah, that was in the comic. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then just a, a little special mention as well. We we talk about value in comic books and so forth. And obviously, this if this was just released as just the issue, it'd be worth every penny. But you also get reprints in the back with Walking Dead, deluxe of letters that came out at the time, which are always fun to read, knowing what's going to happen. But the main part that always adds value to this, and uh, I, I love it at the back, is called The Cutting Room Floor with Robert Kirkman. Mm. And it's essentially his original one-page sort of breakdown, along with almost commentary for it. And I loved in this <laughs> this one, he tells this story about how when he first brought charlie adler on it was like right i'm gonna pay you an extra you know thousand dollars per issue but i get all the original art and charlie adler apparently is just such a machine with art his house is just coming down with original pages and he's happy to make a bit of money off it but early on they realized they couldn't afford to pay him that extra thousand dollars per issue so uh he was like right well you can have art to one more issue and kirkman chose this one as well so and uh i I think he, he definitely got value for money out of it 
big shout out as well. Actually, I love the original cover by David Finch for this one as well. I mean, in a weird way, the the serial killer in this is kind of creepy, but he's also kind of pathetic looking in Charlie Adler's art. Whereas in that David Finch cover, he just looks pure threatening. Um, mm. And this was also the formation as well. This is early on. You almost forget it as you read through The Walking Dead, but Andrea's always had a scar on her cheek that she's yes, quite self-conscious was. about. Yeah, uh-huh. And this is where it came from. So, yeah, I I, I just had to slightly cheat with this one. That again, I, I think it's, it's worth bringing up every so often just A, how important it was, and B, just how good The Walking Dead Deluxe is, uh, The Walking Dead in general. You know, if you get impatient, you want to read it in trades and the black and white version, that's absolutely fine. But I love this fortnightly format. It's just enough of a pace to keep you going. I'm not spread out enough that we're going to be waiting 16 years for it to finish. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, pick of the week for me, Walking Dead Deluxe, number 17, Mr. Robert Kirkman, Charlie Adler, and, of course, we have to mention Dave McCaig, who's doing all of the coloring on these issues. You got away with it this time. I got away with it this time, but I'll I'll not throw it out again for a while. I promise. I promise. <laughs> so that was my pick of the week. What about yourself, Keith? What was your standout title this week? For me, and very much the standout title of uh, of the week of the sixteenth of June was Planet Size X Men number one, a uh, Hellfire Gala one shot by Jerry Dugan, who is of course going to be taking over the the X Men in, in a few short weeks. Uh, Pepe Larraz, another one of the former uh, former Marvel Young Guns, and uh, Marty Garcia on on colors. And I have to tell you, Alan, this was epic. It is easily the biggest feeling book of this week. Having the name Planet Size X Men was very apt. Oh, very apt, very very dangerous. But boy, did they did they live up to it. You know, this feels like the next evolution of the Hickman-led House Powers Mutant Krakoa saga. Hickman has already completely shifted the story of Mutant Kind far beyond the the tropes and the cycles that were laid down in the X-Men blueprint in a way that neither giant-sized X-Men, which introduced you know the new class of mutants, nor, I feel, X-Men 1 by Jim Lee did. This book, I think, by Jerry Duggan rather than Hickman, but who you can you can very much sense Hickman Hickman's hand you know in here. This takes it to the next level to the point that I can't see how the X books could ever return to the status quo of living in a school fighting for a world that hate and fears them while educating the next generation of mutants. I mean, status quo is so central to established comic characters that they're often the victim of it rather than driven by it you know spider-man and, and batman are an example here i mean you know peter parker is always going to come back to being the hard luck hero you know the, the friendly neighborhood spider-man batman regardless of what's happening in the current story is eventually going to re-establish his fortune and is eventually going to be living in wayne manor again with alfred as his butler and then there's some characters like nightwing who build up velocity to escape that status quo you know dink grayson was was robin you know, to, to Bruce Wayne's Batman, now he's he's Nightwing, you know. So that's, to me, what makes what Hickman and now Dugan are doing so notable and special that they have completely redefined the status quo of this comics family. And I don't think there's any way of going back. I just don't see it. Could that be a negative? Could that be, you know what I mean? When character status quo is so beloved like that, could that be a slight worry? Don, Don Badley 
it could. Uh, but whenever you, you re-establish a status quo, whenever you redefine a status quo, set up a new one, mm-hmm. as they did with, with, for example, Dick Grayson and Nightwing again, I think you're in you're in you're in you're in easy street. You know, they this is this is the status quo that, that we go back to now. And yeah. and that status quo is that Homo Superior, no longer the underdog, is now finally in ascendancy. Uh and and they they're the 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 rest of us are now on edge about it you know the the humans mm-hmm. on earth are now on edge about, about it and it, it was something it was something else i mean i can't it's so massive i can't go into the story but and the story in some ways was was broad strokes it was like painting a house rather than fine art it was macro rather than micro you know so there there were very few personal moments you know magneto was certainly the central figure throughout driving the story how you know, whenever we did engage with characters, Jerry Duggan does a really good job of, of getting them right. You know, it, it, the story pulls on elements of, of Ten of Swords and gives a great sense of impact of those, I guess, sometimes annoying events that have punctuated the run, the run of the, the X-Books. You know, it really, it really pulls those in, you know, so... I mean, in this, in, in, in Planet Size X-Men number one, we've got Jerry Duggan, illustrator Pepe Larraz, we've got colorist Marta Garcia. They're all operating at their absolute peak. I mean, to say that Larraz and Garcia's work is cinematic, I think, undersells what it achieves. They are absolutely surround you, it envelops you, it whisks you from Earth to the far reaches of the galaxy to Mars, and you feel the absolute complete scope Uh in a large part because of the arts and the layouts, the momentum of the issue doesn't let up even for a second because it was just driving me forward the whole way through it because Laraz and, and Garcia are are either giving you motion or presenting you a moment that is so stunning looking that it's just as good as action. The terraforming of Mars is the most obviously striking sequence here, but there are great touches like the the trippy and very literal birth of the new sword space station from from the the belly of James Braddock and the the trip into his mind, you know the the mind of the the the, the king of um, of Otherworld. You know we, you and I are very very often talking about world building in comics. Usually not literally. <laughs> yeah, this is it in the very literal sense, and absolutely in spades. And in some ways, you have to see it to believe it. You don't get this sort of seismic shift. I mean, I'm 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 using all these like planetary, global words. You know, you don't get this seismic shift in comics very very often. Planet Size X Men One is an issue that delivers on its namesake in all departments, be it writing, drawing, colors, or letters. I think in years to come, when we as fans are talking about defining issues of the current era, this will, book will be one of those books that we talk about. This is an absolutely essential installment if you're following anything to do with you know the the the, the x-men books and the, the krakoan era of those of those x-men books this was just phenomenal yeah i mean looking back through the issue even now i mean i i got my issue a week later because 
you know, we sold out of issues in the store. You know, I, I gave up my own issue. I knew I would get one the following week. But looking back through it, you know, based on everything you've just said about status quo shifts and changes and so forth, I think the most important page in this book might be maybe about nine pages in. And it's Earth, when Westchester, New York, two days ago. And it's Captain <laughs> America standing uh, in front of the cycle as uh, Cyclops walks away from the old house. The house is all covered in weeds and plant life like we're leaving this behind. Cyclops is walking away from it. And uh, Cap's basically saying, like, we're keeping an eye on what you're doing here. You know, so I think that might turn out to be a very important uh, part of the puzzle in terms of where the X-Men stand in the greater Marvel Universe and in terms of potential future conflicts with Avengers and, and so on and yeah. so forth. So I think based on what you're saying, that's a very poignant page. I mean, that's it. This was always designed to be the centerpiece of Hellfire Gala, wasn't it? That, that's essentially what everyone's been invited there to see, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it certainly is. It, it was such a well-kept secret uh, as well. And so this is the part of the night that they have called fireworks, uh, you know, whenever you got your, your invite to the Hellfire Gala, there was fireworks. Whenever fireworks is the terraforming of the planet Mars, <laughs> <laughs> that's that's incredible. And the statement, I mean, you know, so yeah, so you're you're seeing you're seeing different parts of the night and all the Hellfire Gala issues from different points of view of the of the teams or characters and it's, it's been a, a beautifully orchestrated event. It really it really has and, and a lot of kudos should go to, to Jerry Dugan for that. But I mean, it's a power move. Uh, they, th there's a couple of other really interesting things that, that happen here. Mars, uh, the, the mutants declare Mars as the center of the soul galaxy. That, that if any galactic trade is going on, you'll now talk to Mars, not Earth. Mm -hmm. You know, that is, that's, that's a huge threat to, to humanity. Uh, you know, and also they do something really cool with Storm here. You know, Storm obviously, you know, is is a goddess or has been seen as a goddess. She's also been the queen of Wakanda whenever she married uh, Black Panther. But I think they're setting up to elevate Storm into the role that she was born for, and that is to be the goddess queen of Mars, mm -hmm. which is very very cool. Yeah, I mean, I'd I'd obviously talked about. Uh some beautiful books this week but this is definitely up there in terms of imagination as you say in terms of trippy art some of the great splash pages you know inside certain mutants mind the genesis of ideas the the building of the planet the mm -hmm. you know there, there's sometimes words used in sort of promotional material for titles and things like that and it's it's the usual and, and marvel are as guilty of it as anyone dc did oh, as well yeah. but as guilty of anyone of like things will never be the same again or you'll never believe what happens uh -huh. but they were quite subtle with this one and they basically said 50 years ago giant size x-men changed the world 50 years later planet size x-men will change the universe and mm -hmm. i think that's pretty apt I yeah i mean i i think this this is going to be there there are going to be impacts of this felt right across the the marvel universe i think for years to come yeah uh you know it's it's already been reflected and and Al Ewing's Guardians of the Galaxy and, and Sword, obviously. And uh, I think it's, yeah, I think it's, it, it, it's, it makes it, it makes the X-Men cosmic in a way they haven't been before. Very, very good stuff. Are we building up to Avengers versus X-Men 2 at this point then? I don't know. I, I think we're, I think we're building up, we're building up to something, but I think it's going to be much, much bigger than X-Men versus Avengers. <laughs> um, I think there's, there, there's real scope and real 
power here now. Yeah. That uh, you know they've made themselves major major players. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's, uh, you know, with Hellfire Gala, this was always the central issue, but, you know, I, I came to it a little later, and I think I'm actually just going to collect all the issues around this now, because I'm really curious about it, after Ooh. reading this issue being the centerpiece of it, so I may be reading them slightly out of order, but uh, I think I'm definitely going to invest the, the time in that, because this, this really intrigues me in the same way that House and Powers did when it came along as a 12-issue as a yeah. series, mm-hmm. so... Yep, so that is Keith's pick then of the week. That was Planet Size X-Men number one. So that's going to do it then for the 16th of June releases. We'll finish off as always by just uh, quickly talking about the titles that we're looking forward to most for the next new comic book day, which is the, the 23rd of June. So three titles for myself. I have two DC and one Marvel as my three picks. Uh, my undoubted uh, number one pick that I'm looking forward to this week is Batman Reptilian. Uh, this is a brand new number one from the team of Garth Ennis and Liam Sharp on art. And this just looks tremendously old school Batman, Arkham asylum type vibes, painted artwork. And the blurb is, what strikes fear into the hearts of those who terrorize Gotham? It used to be Batman, but something far more frightening than a mere man stalks the shadows. And it's after Gotham's villains. How savage must a monster be to haunt the dreams of monsters? Uh, yeah, really, really looking forward to this. My Marvel pick of the week I'm looking forward to is Fantastic Four Life Story number two. This is written by Mark Russell and art by Sean Isaac. And the reason I'm looking forward to this one is I love the format of Life Story with issue one. There's not a lot of freedom there. They have to establish the status quo and that'll fall in line an awful lot with what came out back in the 60s but this one we're jumping forward a decade the characters are getting older relationships are going to change uh we're into the women's rights era so i think there's going to be some really interesting stuff here with sue storm uh i'm just really looking forward to this progression and i also see namors on the cover which is uh instantly intriguing so that is fantastic for life story number two and then my last one is infinite frontier number one so this is from the team of joshua williamson and Zermanico on art and this is essentially the 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 fallout series almost from uh dark knight's death metal because everything was sort of put back where it belonged and we do mean everything all the damage from all the crises was undone and heroes long thought gone returned from whatever exile they had been in most of them at least alan scott the green lantern from the justice society of america has noticed some of his allies are still missing in action and he's determined to find them there are others, though, who would rather remain hidden than explain themselves, like Roy Harper, a.k.a. Arsenal, a man who should be dead, but now is not. What does this all mean for DCU's place in the multiverse? So, yeah, really looking forward to that one as well. Really cool covers from Mitch Jared's on that one. So those are my three titles. What about yourself? Uh, we have Undiscovered Country coming back with number 13. That's, uh, that's Scott Snyder, Charles Souls, and Giuseppe Camoncoli's uh, smash hit series from Image. Uh, the journey through the transformed United States continues as a group of survivors and ex- or a group of explorers ventures into their third zone possibility, a region built on the endlessly evolving landscape of American creativity from folklore to VR. So looking forward to the, that twisted tale returning uh, from AWA. We've got Chariot number four. Uh, we know the scored by now. Chariot uh, was a Cold War era secret government project to provide its star agent with a weapon unlike any other in the form of a supercharged muscle car. It sank to the bottom of the ocean decades ago and the agent along with it, now a petty criminal looking to reform his life, uh, has stumbled upon the chariot and he's about to find out that the agent's consciousness is still controlling it in this synth wave thriller. 
really enjoying this. Uh, you know, the issue three was was phenomenal as uh, as as Jim, the the the, the former criminal, uh, is is moving into the the phase of of, of becoming a, a hero. This is just a phenomenal book and a phenomenal looking book um, from uh, from Brian Hill and uh, Priscilla Petrates. And then last for me. Amazing Spider-Man number 69. It's the Chameleon Conspiracy Part 3 uh, by Nick Spencer, Ed Breeson, uh, Marcello Ferreira, and Carlos Gomez. And uh, Spidey and his super spy sisters, Teresa Parker, uh, dig to uncover the Chameleon Conspiracy. Their investigation is challenged by Chance, Jack O'Lantern, and the former's anarchic alliance. Uh, and that's going to be continued in a giant-sized Amazing Spider-Man con- Chameleon Conspiracy number 1. Uh, so yeah, enjoying that, uh, enjoying that teal. Perfect. So those are our our pull list will be slightly bigger than those six titles we just mentioned, but those are definitely the ones that stand out for us for the twenty third then of June. So, um, uh, are we are we shout out before we finish off, Alan? By all means. Uh, I, I meant to tell you about this earlier, but uh, a listener from uh, Australia got in touch. Oh, nice. Uh, he says, uh, "Hey Keith, been loving your work on the podcast and." Because I can't play much live music, uh, getting into comics and drawing again uh, because of your show. It's also helped keep my boy, keep his reading up. Keep it up, brothers. Fantastic, fantastic. Well, thanks for the kind words. A shout out to uh, to Sid, uh, who's listening from, from Down Under. Absolutely. Always great to hear that the people are, are digging what we're doing. And, you know, the sole purpose of this is always to sort of put across our love of comics and hopefully some of that rubs off on you and you you enjoy the art form just as much or it gets you interested in the art form if you've never been a fan before. So thanks for the kind words and I hope you enjoyed this show as well. This was covering the 16th of June 2021 releases. We will be back next week with... Uh, our reviews for those titles from the 23rd of june keep an eye out for uh that aforementioned mystery uh creator interview podcast will be dropping soon as well and why not we'll throw in a previews podcast somewhere along the line for you there as well so <laughs> you know we we got plenty plenty lined up as always as we approach 150 episodes so yeah. it's, it's always a ple- mischief. absolutely it's always a pleasure again hope you guys enjoyed this and uh we'll look forward to uh, catching you on the next pod 